This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the weekly show from London's home of big thinking. I'm Vas Christodoulou, one of the curators of our programme. This week's guest is among the most celebrated and powerful young voices in contemporary culture. Ursa Daly Ward shot to fame in her early 20s as a model and actor, but quickly established a reputation as a poet and storyteller of rare honesty and vulnerability. Her new book, The How, is a gentle invitation to remove our filters and see and feel more of who we really are. She was joined in conversation by poet and essayist Selena Godin, whose debut novel, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, not only has the best title of any book published last year, but is also quite simply one of the most original and exhilarating pieces of fiction I've read. But that's more than enough from me. Here are Selena and Ursa. So we're going to be talking about your amazing book, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. I really liked listening to it in audiobook, and I like reading it too. I think above and beyond what I liked about it was I wished it had been available when I was a girl. I think it would have really helped me like, as a young poet. I really struggled with a lot of the things you're talking about. And so I was so glad that you'd you know put them on paper and just done this beautiful, beautiful book. I think it's amazing. So before further ado, do you think you'll give everyone like a little taster of, yeah. um, of the introduction or a little bit from the beginning? And then I've got many, many questions, pages and pages <laughs> of questions for you. Awesome. Okay, so I will, I'll read the first section of the introduction just to give us a sense of what it's about and, yeah, sort of what the themes are in the book. Introduction. We are afraid of small things, large things, dead things, things that are living and persistent, things that we must do but keep putting off, legal and numerical things, filthy delicious things, so deadly they seem like fun things that move gently and in secret, slow moving things, ill health, death, things like the end of the world, things that we don't and will never control, things that will almost certainly happen and things that may not. I see you and I recognize your fear. You see me and you understand mine. We are accustomed to its moving shapes and many sounds and we have been living among each other for far too long not to understand that we have these things in common. Though our specifics vary, our fears are family. When we open our mouths to speak, fear scratches at our throats and then it is carelessly present, turning the air a grim and unremarkable colour. That's where there are times when we avoid each other. You remind me of myself, of my uncertainty and anxiety and all the other painful things that I'm too afraid to look at. When I catch your eye, I am often alarmed at my own tender reflection. Fear itself is hardly the enemy. Fear is, in fact, an excellent indicator of where we are and what we believe to be true. And it's too much to watch it at work sometimes. It's uncomfortable to see the fear escaping our lips, reverberating in the space between us. It's obscuring our view and everything about our lives. And I am tired. And are you tired? Every single day of our lives, we are sold remedies. We are sold all these urgent methods to disguise the fear. So many that we get confused. So many that our heads are spinning and we can't tell our own thoughts from those that are coming from outside. You can't see what you want to do. I can't tell what I want to be or care about. 
wherever we go, TV and books and adverts shout out at us about what to do to conquer this fear, what to do to feel more alive, how to be good, how to be better, how to survive, how to stay in charge and inside of your body, how to feed and preserve your body, how to dress your body and sell it, how to succeed, leaving others behind in the dust. These hows and how-tos, they're everywhere we look. In every place of retail, fitness, worship, and entertainment, these hows are flexible and glossy. They know how to live and they keep getting all of our money. They tell us what to buy and where to buy it. And they sound like promises and they look like lifelines. We're obsessed with them because they are flawless and stylish, fitter and cleaner than us, highly curated and frighteningly relevant. They are political. They do superior activism, think critically, have wonderful social lives, and they know how to organize. We see pictures of them on their backs in impossible sun-filled locations. They succeed and they prosper, while the rest of us are simply getting by. Just. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. That's wonderful. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions now and we can uh, oh. we have a little conversation. So so let's start at the very beginning, shall we? Yes. My questions here. Let's do it. <laughs> what was the starting point for this book? Was there a specific event that made you start writing this? Where did you write the first page or where do you feel this book began? Honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was, I planned, I don't know about you when you're writing, but I had an idea of what I wanted to write and I think I wanted to move into fiction or something like that. And then the pandemic happened and I was just sitting there depressed, like, oh God, what's happened? Never do. And this was just what was in here and this was what came out. So I was in my apartment in Brooklyn just by myself and I just thought, okay, well, this is what seems to be like on my chest, like it's, it's, yeah. it's nothing else. And, and it was because it was the pandemic and we were just we were so online and all i could see were just recipes and how to you know all of these these guides on how to be better and i don't know about you but i just felt so drowned by all of the noise yeah and that, this was the response i guess yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's a fantastic response i mean it's just so there's just so many beautiful nuggets of amazing advice and wisdom in this book. Like I really was like, oh, that's a lovely way to put that. Or and I just really, I just really feel like there was. It's like you know what it feels like reading your book. It feels like a big sister coming and patting oh, you on the shoulder. That's what I love feels. that. I think that's what. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, honestly, I think I think you're going to have you. How has the response been? When did I'm when did the book come out? The book came out the beginning of November in over in America and then later on in November in England. So just sort of before the Christmas period. And it's been so lovely. It's it's interesting, you know, when you we, we shift genres all the time or we mix like poetry with other genres. So you always think, Oh God, it's such a departure from what I did before but I guess you know, we, we, we're always shifting and, and responding to what's happening around us. So yeah, it's been lovely. Oh, that's, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But we have to keep shifting and changing, don't we? Because yeah. otherwise we're not growing and learning. You talk about that a lot in the book, actually, don't you? This idea of, you know, being, oh, I know what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the chapters on water and how water changes and grows and moves. And you talk about that a lot. Can you tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about your, your water, your watery, watery watery, um, watery yeah. section, which I'll read yeah. a bit of later because that is actually one of my one of my favorite parts of the book only because it did it, it flowed like that and i think that's because when we write information like that that's coming from somewhere else like we're the vessel and it comes through but it's a chapter called let's talk about the water and it's about you know how rigidity is kind of it goes against what we naturally are for a start we're, we're mostly water so and water yeah. flows, water takes the shape of of whatever contains it water shifts water changes form you know and and us being all made up of water, of water mm. i mean it, it's, it's an excellent clue it's an excellent clue to how we have to sometimes behave like the that a lot of the natural world that we're surrounded with are the clues in the natural world all the time to how mm. we can flow resistance free even in difficult circumstances so that chapter let's talk about the water is about that it's about you know the arrogance that we sometimes have as human beings just 
presuming that we know what we are and that what we are will never change when that's just the complete opposite to what we are. Oh, no, I, I loved that bit. It was really, uh, really, really just insightful and really profound. That's really good. Can you tell I'm a fan of this book yet? Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry. <I'm, laughs> okay, so I think of this book as a map. I think of it as a courageous map. I also think it's candid and wise. I found it really nourishing, poetic, philosophical. Basically, uh, like I said earlier, this is the book I wish I'd read as a young poet. Like it would have really given me great comfort and also confidence. So can you talk to us about this map or this journey, how you found your authenticity and how you nurture it? You know, I always, because I never really feel as though I have any kind of answers, not for myself. And I think the times when I'm the most useful in, in any way, uh, as a friend, as a writer, as anything, is when I get out of my way and I spend quiet time in nature or whatever, and I, I get back to source and, you know, we can do that a variety of ways. We walk, we meditate, we pray, we do whatever it takes to get us there. And that's when I think something else, like some other intelligence or some maybe it's from the ancestors, I don't know, whatever way you want to look at it, from the universe, from nature, from, then you allow yourself to, to, to become this clear vessel. You, I think you allow yourself to be inspired by new things. It's a lot like what I was saying about being water. I think, I think the times when I feel the most inspired or, you know, like I've got the most, the most truthful is when I'm less concerned with even writing for people or even responding to something or having something clever to say, because actually I don't. But what I do have, I think, is a is I, I try to have a connection with my source, and and if I just make sure I'm clear as, as much as possible, and I'm I'm not trying to contrive something, uh, then I can respond to what I'm seeing around me. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just a case of respond, responding. I mean, you know, as a, a great poet, is responding to what's inside, what what's around, and in some way, just recording it. So we're just recording. We're just making notes of, of what is beautiful and what is present all of the time. Mm. So that and that's what inspires me the most, you know, just just watching and even not knowing. Most of the time, I don't know, but writing about not knowing, I think, because nobody knows. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that's I think that's important to always remember that we're we're all sort of students in this, and that's what I find most fascinating as a writer as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. No one's got all the answers, actually. <laughs> God, no. God, no. <laughs> okay, so now I want to talk about dreams. So um, can you tell me about your dreams? Because um, reading your book, I now believe that you're like me and you really dream vividly. I do. Um, there's a lovely connection to dreams in your book. Can we talk a bit about dreams and dream worlds and dream wishes and dream lives and dream versions of yourselves? Let's talk about dreams for a bit. I, yeah, I love my, oh my God, I love my dreams. I love my dreams. <laughs> I love my life in my dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, th- this is the thing as well, because your dreams as well, they contain clues. That I, I don't, like when you write, do you write in the morning or do you write at night? I'm a very early morning writer. I get up yes. at four in the morning. Yeah, same, same. And I call it, honestly, I call it the black hours of the, you know, the, these intense, magical black hours. It's like a box of inspiration yeah. because that's when you're closest to, you know, those things that are hidden away. The things that, by the time, let's be honest, by the time you wake up in the day and you remember all the things you have to be worried about. Yeah. Like, there's so many. It's gone. It's getting further and further and further with every hour you're awake. But when you wake up and, and like, and it's like four and everything's still dark and you're, there's so, there's so much vocabulary, so much width, so many new ideas and so much is possible just after, after the dream space. Because, you know, we dream really intangibly, don't we, about yeah. St- yeah. really strange things. I really feel like I'm closer to my my ancestors and ghosts, yes. closer to my real stories and my dream stories. A lot of my 
poems and a lot of my work comes from dreams. Like sometimes I see my handwriting. So I try and get up and quickly write down what I saw my handwriting in my dream before it goes away. There's also that, that I love watching the light changing and I love seeing, you know, from different times of year as well as through, you know, and just seeing the light come. And it's like watching the light come just gives you so much hope. It's like a new day, a new yeah. morning, a new page, a new chance, a new try, another go on it. Yeah, and that's true because life sort of shrinks. Things sort of shrink as the day as the day goes on. Yeah. So... Were some areas easier to write? Did some areas of the book come like in one sort of big write or were other areas more difficult? Uh, and do you have a favourite part of the book? Yeah, I, as I said, the, the water um, section came, I don't, the water section came really, really easily. Uh, and then the grief section um, came quite easily. I think, well, having lived it and just... It was quite visceral. And what was harder? What was the hardest part? You know, it's, it's strange. It all came because they, these are things that I probably haven't worked out and I I just feel very close to it. So it actually was a very, it was a very flowy book because it was right there. And I was forced in this pandemic space to just sit with myself, not the best task or the easiest task. But yeah, I would say the... The section, let's talk about the water, but also uh, the section before it that is about going out into into the wild, which I'm obsessed with. And when, when I say what, I just mean a park, you know, trees. I'm not talking about any rainforests. If you can get there, great, but most of us can't. So yeah. it, it was called Outside In, and I, I, I found that bit really... I was just so heavily relying on everything that was around like, to stay <laughs> in the game. There's that quote, isn't there, that the that going, I can't remember who wrote it, I do apologise, there's that quote where someone said, and there and there I found that by going outside I was going inside, like this idea of going outside is going inside, and I, yeah, I just, I, I love that, that yeah. you do, you go, you go for a walk and go and just take, that's what I love in your book, you're sort of asking us to remember to take small moments and to look for beauty, and it's just so wonderful to be reminded because we do, we just sort of let things go by. Yeah, because you think about when we think about it in life, it's just a it's just a patchwork of all those moments, and so much. You know, I'll be waiting for. Oh my God, things are gonna be wonderful. Like when I've done this or when I get this, and forgetting that it's the day to day. You you, you can't like say I'm gonna have a good time next month when this thing is sorted. It's gonna be now. It it can only be now. Yeah. I mean, we do that a lot, don't we? We say, oh, I'll, when I'm a bit thinner, I'll, I'll wear that. Or when I'm a bit this, that and the other, I'll do this. and that. Yeah, it's, we, we do that, this sort of delayed thing. Why do we do that, do you think? I, d- I really don't know. You know, um, having Jamaican grandparents, we, wouldn't, we would only use good crockery like once a yeah. year. Save you know, it for you know how it is. You, yeah. know, you only use good crockery once a year and you think, wow, you know, we're a long time gone. Yeah. Now that's why to, nowadays I try and I try so hard, but I still have a lot of that still in in me. But I try. I'm like, no, I'm going to enjoy it today because who knows what the circumstances of tomorrow will be. I really remember that saving things for best. Okay, what else was I going to ask you? Actually, it might be time for another little reading. You want to give us another reading? Yes, I'll give you a reading from a short reading from Let's Talk About the Water because this goes on forever. But yeah, here we are. Talk Let's... about that bit. Yeah. Yes. Ah. Okay. Let's talk about the water. You move because you must, yes? You move toward a river, a lake, or the sea. You peer down, observing the way the water ripples and refracts the great light above, the way it converses cleanly with air and sky. You find yourself close to the edge of a universe, older and larger than all of us. Water holds all the truth in the world, and yet it changes shape and colour adapts from form to form, shifts, freezes, warms, sizzles, evaporates into the atmosphere. Water consistently adapts to survive, and so must we, being all made up of it, salt water and blood and elements of sky. When we were children, we mastered our language by mimicking what we were shown. As soon as we were too old for a thing, we moved on, and we were quick to announce the fact we were tumbling and wild. We couldn't wait to get older. Well, look at us. We got older, didn't we? 
We stiffened, grew fixed and frighteningly sure of what we were. And in turn, we reached an age where nobody could tell us anything new about ourselves. We made up all of our stories, constructing them around us like nests. And for a lot of us, this is where we remain, safe and hidden, hiding from other possible truths. We do more damage than we realize by repeating these old irrelevant narratives. We allow long ago plot lines and descriptions that are no longer relevant to define us and set deeper into our bones as fact. We allow them to impair our movement and vision. But the only true sure thing is impermanence. Growth changes the unknown. Observe the water meeting the sky and it always will. Water respects no bounds, stays out of nowhere. Water will flow into every space it is allowed to, wetting the very furthest untouched places, straight into the new spaces and places that you have imagined and allow yourself to continually adjust. That is the essence of the stream itself. We cannot grow if we resist changing shape. Oh, so beautiful. I love that. I love that. Is that the chapter where you set um, the writing task about the stories that we tell ourselves? I thought that was so interesting. I think it is because I only read like a quarter of it, but it's, there are so many tasks set in this book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very like, it's very little instructional um, in in its tasks, but I think, do I, oh yeah. So I don't know if this is the one, but it says like when you, when you lie in bed tonight and let's go for a long walk, consider a new story. So it's think of three core, when we allow new water, new salt to be formed around the skill and new desire, it is a welcome injection. Think of three core things you think you are not good at or skills you know you don't have. Aim to look into each of them this month, new water. Have the conversation you have been avoiding, new water. Take active and firm hold of a relationship that no longer serves you and call it what it is new water <laughs> so i don't know if that's the exact one but there's loads of them like that dotted throughout the book yeah so i thought it was so yeah it's just so helpful and just made me really made me start thinking about some of the stories i tell about myself and the way we do that yeah it's interesting really interesting okay so next thing i was going to talk to you about i'm a really big list writer um actually i I really love lists i have lists i have notebooks specifically for lists and i have lists about lists um i live for lists and make lists constantly to live by lists of things i want to do lists of things i i'd like to do lists of things i've got to do which is often quite not all the same thing and you know and it's so it's my way of sorting out my head i couldn't possibly live without a list you know it's kind of how how i work you recommend um, people making lists of things to be grateful for. Um, yeah. Is that still is that still something that you do? And, and what are some of the things you're grateful for? I have to because if I don't, I'll be pulled down into thinking everything's crap. You know, on the days when everything feels like oh. But what I try and do is I try to seize the opportunities where I'm just like either feeling really good or feeling just okay, and then I'll mm-hmm. I'll use that that momentum because it's really hard to get there from like. Oh, I of course, if you feel awful and someone's like, "Well, write a gratitude list," it's really annoying. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> really annoying. God, you're just like, "Oh, shut up!" But the the practice, the muscle, I would say, is one of has been one of the most transformative things in my life. Like, it's because there's something that you naturally do if you're doing a gratitude list every day or every other day. There's something that you you naturally do, and that's. Even when things are difficult, you start becoming more aware of the other things that are working. So even when something isn't working out, it doesn't take up your whole, it's not the whole story. It never is. There's lots of million things always happening at once. And we have a natural, we're we're problem solvers. So we always, we lean toward the negative because we want to, to, we want to call it out. But... There is something to be said for also staying on this 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 vibration of all of the things that are working out, and and so it helps me. It's, it's just wonders for my mental health to always have that awareness. And when I'm talking about the things that that make me feel good or things that I have gratitude for, I have things like my health. I have things like my health. I have things like you know, there's food in the fridge. I yeah. have things like the house is warm. I, I like my apartment. You know, things like that. And, and I have people on there and. You know, because there's always, there are always some things, even if you can get like basic things together, like I love this cup of tea, I'm just, you know what I mean? It's something. So it mm. doesn't really matter what they are, but I like to get about 10. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. and then if I forget about them after I do, but you see you don't really your body doesn't forget they kind of it's kind of starts to get written into you so that's why I do it as well for yeah so talk to me um, about this this idea of the body keeping the score or the body yeah. so talk, talk to us about that Let's it really does right because and and I think the simplest way I, I think about it is when you you're disappointed or you're stressed or you're angry what do mm-hmm. we have we have all of these all of these signs in the body like you get hot you get breathless you don't feel too good you know and, and everything I don't, everything is so somatic that's why i think when we when you exercise yes there are endorphins but just the, the movement it, it moves things through your body so i was like okay so if i know just thinking about something can change my body i can do this on purpose the body sometimes doesn't know the difference between like what is real and what's imagined if you feel the same thing. Uh, so there are things that we can do definitely that, that you know, to, to set about a different feeling in the body, particularly if, it, if you're dealing with very negative things, I think, because the body does suffer. It does. It does. I know how I feel when I've had a lot of negative experiences and it, it makes a difference. So I do my best to kind of play with it and to, to synthesize a thrill or synthesize excitement until it isn't. A synthesized because it is really there. Is that like that thing where you can fake a smile and your body thinks it's doing a real smile and it releases yeah. chemicals? So it releases chemicals thinking you're really smiling. Is that how, true? Yeah, but how? But it works. And yeah. how interesting is that? There are, and when you start laughing for no reason, even though it feels silly, you you, you produce that that stuff. And do you do laughing yoga? No, I. You know, I. I had a friend who did that, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I did it, and it worked. I yeah, just think that's yeah. I mean, I do. Think, I love laughing. I love laughing. I've. I would. I really think I want to try laughing yoga. I love laughing. Why wouldn't that be funny? Do I think it'd be it, fun. It, I think you should do it. I think, I think isn't, it. isn't it weird that as well when we we know we love something, but we but everything else gets in the way. Yeah. 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 No, but there is something about laughing is so good for you. So it makes sense. We've got yeah. all this evidence that lets us know that things that you do with your body actually, you know, it makes you healthier. And yet yeah, it's so, yeah. so hard to do them. And it's yeah, easy to yeah. complain. It's easy to complain. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm thinking is, it's just this kind of idea of... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being optimistic is being sort of revolutionary, being kind of rebellious like i dare to be i dare to seek happiness i dare to seek beauty yeah because to to, that's bloody, what i'm trying to get to yeah it's bloody hard now isn't it it's, it's yeah. because everything is reminding you of people said the wrong thing people did the wrong thing let's be you know angry and mad at this person and let's be and it's it there is so, we are so skewed towards the negative and i'm not talking about um toxic uh, positivity because that's no use either you know we have to be real about what's going on but there are so many ways of looking at a thing and so many ways of we have to be mindful of, of what we take in so i do i do think it's a rebellion now sadly to move towards the negative in some spaces it's actually people are looking at you like what yeah yeah it, it, it is it's like that so i understand why why you would say that and i do it's yeah you almost feel as though there's a sense of um people maybe thinking that you're not being the most realistic when you think about things in a positive way yeah or they kind of tell you that you're being idealistic yeah yeah. as if that's a bad thing yeah as if it's a bad thing idealism as if it's a bad thing yeah yeah because one of them is fruitful for new ideas to take space and for solutions but if you're if you're you're not on the vibration for a solution if you're in the negative. It's not possible. Yeah, you yeah. Can't, you can't do two opposite things, you know. That's it. That's it. You can't yeah. be all closed shop. It is no boys, blue. You can't yeah. be all like that. 
and then and then you sort of shut the gate. Yeah, it sort of makes me feel like that. I don't know why I do it in a French accent, but that's what yeah, it feels like. Accent, yeah. <laughs> it sort yeah. of reminds me of that, this idea of kind of closed gates. Yeah. But yeah. And yeah. the thing is, we can't get to where we want from there. I understand that we, we've had to do it to keep ourselves safe or because we don't want to be disappointed, but the, the truth is you, you have to be open uh, to, mm. to get new water or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, your, book, your book's full of that, and it's just so – it just really sort of packs a punch. Um, okay, which do you prefer, writing or performing? Ooh, well, too much, yeah, go on. <laughs> too, too much, you know what? Too much writing and just being on your own isn't great. <laughs> I love performing. Performing is all you know. I was performing before I was writing. I think that no, I think I think it's both. I think they've got to fold into another because you need people. Yeah, you want to be on your own in the house, you know, having these I, thoughts and ideas, and it's nice. Even the process of writing sometimes isn't. <laughs> not the most fun all the time is it you're just no. letting it come out but performing when it meets the air is beautiful yeah i yeah, never yeah. i never don't enjoy performing i sometimes don't enjoy writing <laughs> yeah and i think with both of them i like the feeling when i've done writing and i right. like and i like the feeling when i've done a gig <laughs> uh, oh, okay. i like the party time <laughs> yeah no the party time is fun but do you like the feeling and before it is a bit like but do you yeah. like the feeling during the gig um not, I think the loneliest time of my life is the one second before they say my name. You know, when you're standing in the wings and about to go on stage. That I think it's the loneliest, weirdest moment. My little heart's going do 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 do. Yeah, and then and then there's silence, and then it's just your footsteps going on. The <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you stand there, and it's like real quiet. Yeah, there's something. There's something just amazing about that moment. Um, I do love performing. I, there's room. There's room for both, and I wouldn't do just one. I couldn't choose to do just one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because just one with that, it's like two halves of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. Well, it really is because I think when we started out as girls, I'm imagining you were like me. You're kind of like writing in your bedroom for hours, yeah. you know, and you know, reading it out, and the only person that hears it is the wallpaper and. <laughs> And the seagull out the window. Eddies, yeah. yeah. So you have to start. You have to start gigging so that you're not just reading yeah. to the mirror anymore, or whatever. What were you like as a teenager? Actually, were you in your room, bedroom, writing for hours? I should have been. But <laughs> it would have been better than what I was doing. Believe me. But no, I mean, like, I it was really tumultuous in my household and everything. So I, I kind of wrote, wrote, and wrote, and wrote up until about thirteen. Then I had like, quite a gap. Um, because I was busy, you know, trying to do everything else. Yeah. You know, trying to get in my, trying to get my head right. And then I, I started again in my, I would say, I would say 18, because I wrote a, a book when I was 18. It was terrible, but I, I wrote it mm. and then I started, I started again. Yeah. Right, right. Well, yeah, no, I think I was, yeah, I was a, I was a little, uh, little crazy kid, I think, as a teenager, really willful. But I would, this book would have just saved my life. I hope loads of young girls that are like us read it. Okay, so going back to the idea that because you're a performer and a writer, it made perfect sense that you would do the audio book and do such a good job. Can you tell everyone a little bit about that, about the audio book? Because your voice is just beautiful. It's just like, yeah, it's just so gorgeous. It's really, really well done audio book. I love doing audio books. I love doing because I love listening to audio books, and a great reader of an audio book will make my entire life. And I love audio books. They're my little friends for when I'm walking around New York, and you know, when I have a long car journey or something. I just love them. I have them on when I'm cleaning everything. So it follows that I would want to do my audio book. Don't want anyone else to read it. So yeah, I, I love. I really enjoy it. You're in a little booth on your own. You just you've got your water, your cup of tea. You're just reading your book all day. I mean, what's not to love? So yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoy. Do you enjoy doing it? As well. Yeah, I did. I, I did the audio book for Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, um, and I really enjoyed that. And um, and I did the audio book for my memoir. That was a bit harder because that was very personal stories. Some of them not happy stories. So that one was more hard work. But Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death was more fiction and more acting. And yeah, I enjoyed that. So, what books are you reading? 
Do you have any book recommendations for us? Oh my God, where do I begin with book re- recommendations? I've got so... Oh my God, I've clicked on something. I, I have so many... But I've just read um, um, Helen Yemi's uh, Mr. Fox, which I really liked. I love Jeanette Winterson um, novels. I just love them. I love how they, they move through space and time. And you're just like, what? What's going on? Like, who's speaking to who? And then it changes. So, like, Sex in the Cherry. I, I, one of my favorite ones by her is um, Written on the Body. I love that book. I love Toni Morrison's book. I love Alice Walker. Alice Walker is the first sort of writer that spoke to me as a young girl. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because of the subject matters and how how strong yeah. and, and deep they were. Yeah. And I thought, God, if, if, if she can write about those things, it kind of gave me permission because there were so many, you know, I'm a shy, I'm like very introverted. So writing is my space and I come into to sort of bear myself or to, you know, talk about weird things or whatever. I feel very comfortable in that space. So when I saw what she was writing in The Colour Purple and By the Light of My Father's Smile, books like that, I was like, okay, yeah. this is what I want. And she's an Aquarius. Yeah, like, yeah, I get, yeah, really. Yeah. Is she? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was cool. I think it was, her, it was a combination of her and Maya Angelou. Um, they were really, and I remember reading Why the Cage, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Yeah. That book. And, and do you know what else was a really big influence on me as a, a sort of young brown girl looking for other brown women or one, however you want to put it, was I had a vinyl of Whoopi Goldberg doing stand-up. And it is so rude. She's just like so, like full on swearing all the way through it. It's like nineteen eighties. Her doing her stand up on vinyl, and she's even ruder than all the boys were. She was so, she was such a potty mouth. <laughs> like, I love what I love that. So, there's a strong sense of survival in this book. Do you see yourself as a survivor too? Survival to bloody everything. Um, yeah, I mean, who isn't? Who isn't? Yeah. Um, I definitely am not someone who identifies myself with any sort of uh, trauma or suffering. It's just not, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing to be. It's just, just not, it doesn't work for me because, again, always take, um, shifting and changing shape. But it doesn't mean you forget, you know, yeah. but rather it's like a dazzling reminder of, of what, we, what we can do and what we can what we can be as humans. And so, yeah, I, I see myself, I would say I see myself as um, someone who's experienced, just someone who is experienced. And, and that, that goes a long way in, um, as an artist. It does. There's so, you've got this, like, big, all of these colours with which to, to, to paint the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think this book's amazing. And I want all, all the young girls, I'm going to be suggesting it and recommending it all over. All over, I am, I am. Okay, so now we're going to have a little look and see if there's some questions in the chatty, boxy bit. Oh, here's one. I loved the how. It spoke to me. How do you find the inspiration to write so beautifully, truthfully and honestly in such a way that it resonates so deeply with your audience? I think that what is important to one person is generally important to another person and that we are all more similar than we realize. And I think whenever I get the opportunity to be honest about the deep, dark things going on in here, then usually somebody else will be like, yeah, you know, I think that as well. There's nothing, I don't think I have much that's unique. I, I don't. I think that we're all going through the same things within, you know, relatively because they're different places of the world and there are different concerns. Yeah. But I, yeah, why, why does it resonate? Because we're all here having a, you know, human experiences and that's the most important thing of all when it comes to storytelling is just, you know, try and be as, as honest as possible. Even when you're writing fiction, there's an honesty in that and that's what I think is powerful. Mm. Mm. Good answer. Well done. Okay, here comes another one. You said that you wrote the book during lockdown at first for yourself. Did you find it difficult publishing something which was originally so personal? That's a good question. Mm, You know, there was an element of difficulty, but not because it's personal, because really I let go of that stuff as soon as it's out in the air. It doesn't really belong to me anyway. It belongs to whoever's going to read it. And they're not thinking about me, thinking about them. So that's that's all gone. But just because of the time it was and, and 
the lack of sort of wanting to move and all of the the very stagnant feelings that came with the early pandemic that was a little tricky because I was like oh I've got this book then I was like I'm gonna write this book now and then my um you know the the publishers are like so when's your draft I'm like writing like this (laughs) you know so that so there's there's that and I think it was just more yeah the mental difficulty of, of of sort of still making something at a time like that Um, because it was flowing through but it was also yeah it was also personally a difficult time for everybody Mm. i think there was so much there was so much stagnancy because we couldn't go outside we couldn't be around people we loved so that's where the difficulty was for me but not because it was personal because really i I don't mind writing about the personal great okay here comes another one do you think the book should be read in one sitting in order or can we drop in and out? That's a good question. Do you, you want to drop in and out? Yeah, absolutely. Drop in and out. Yeah, you just drop it. In yeah, I think we you can you could probably read it. You could probably read it backwards. I think yeah, wherever you feel like you want to start, start there. Obviously, there's an intro and there's an ending letter, but other than that, you you take it. And and I think yeah, a lot of people say they don't read it chronologically and. Some people might read it in a sitting. I'm, I'm a reading a sitting kind of person, but there's also something to be said by taking it really, really slowly as well. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Okay, here comes another question. Oh, which Caribbean writer inspires you and why? Oh, God. Do you know, do you, do you know I was really, 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 really inspired, like to the point of standing inspired by <laughs> probably knows as well which is a bit embarrassing but in my early myspace days i used to like write like write loads of um like was it private me- there was so some messages even on myspace anyway i'm showing my age now uh, benjamin zephaniah oh I was, I was like oh my god i'm so i was just obsessed i was just obsessed and it was before i really thought that poetry could be possible for me yeah you know, I, I knew that I wrote poetry, but I didn't know how to get my work seen and known. And I just saw someone doing it who I just thought was so powerful. And so I would say, actually, he's probably of them. And there are many, but I would say, yeah, maybe him. Yeah, I think he's probably, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he's amazing. I think he's probably one of the first sort of British, I think probably the first one I saw on TV as a, a British, yeah. British Jamaican kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good answer. And at school, I didn't learn. I didn't see and learn black writers at all. At school, I, 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 I there were not there were none on the syllabus. So when I saw, you know, like with his locks and everything like that, I was like, yo, this is this is powerful. Yeah, that's it. When I was at school, we were taught um, Elizabeth Jennings and and kind of yeah, we weren't. There was no no Caribbean writers on the syllabus. Elizabeth Jennings, for God's sake. Anyway. How do you think we can make poetry possible for more people? How do you hope our cultural attitude towards poetry will change? How do you think we can make poetry possible for more people? Like, stop stop only teaching boring poetry. I shouldn't say boring. It's lots of different types. But, you know, stop it. Stop it. Because you, you, you ruin a whole genre by turning it into this boring thing on a school syllabus and not including like like weird and wonderful um poets or poets of color or you know, i just don't understand in this day and age why it's still these syllabuses still have this just archaic language we have to move with the times we have to move with language and also to experiment more with form so we know that um, kids use a lot of social media now everything's online so attention spans are not what they were so there are things that we can do with um, the form how we present it and start start using that you know there's multimedia there's there's music there's all kinds of things i mean we know we 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 experiment with all of those things so i do not know why why we're still using like employing in places of learning especially for younger children making it so inaccessible you make anything accessible people aren't going to want it so poetry Were they going to take poetry off the school syllabus completely, I think, or or there was talk about it. So, I mean, they're already kind of, so I think, I think a lot of uh, 
a lot of politics and a lot of uh, rebellion lives in poetry and a lot of, of those voices. And so they were trying to sort of maybe sort of dampen that a little bit, you know, this kind of idea of only, you know, reading poetry from a hundred years ago of old wars and old dead men instead I'm of just like, what's happening now. Yeah. And then seven, seven stanzas about a bird or something like that. And it's just like, God, I love words, but you know, most of that stuff I can't read. <laughs> well said okay here we go do you write a journal or anything i write yeah i mean i write a journal that i have my journal's really public it's Is on it my a journal or a diary or a it's, um, what do i even call it it's like an online spell book stroke newsletter stroke. and i just write down whatever i think it's uh it's called the utter and it's um uh, it's on a Substack. It's like my name. It's yesterdayward.substack.com, and I write it twice a week. And whatever is occurring to me that morning, even if it's not grammatically correct, there's errors in it. I just put it out because it also stops me from having this weird perfectionism in my work. And I just, yeah, it, it it challenges me because I know I've got my readers, and I'm like, ah, what have you? What are you even pressing publish on? But yeah, I do. Um, it's like a more, it's like morning pages, but it's on it's on it's online and very very accessible. Do you ever write by hand? Sometimes I so in when I'm doing like a more traditional because I love notebooks and pens. Mm. When I'm doing like a more traditional morning page thing. Um, yeah, I do. I'll I'll do the three pages and just the continuous flow. It's where I get a lot of like the, the weird ideas. Have you got a favorite pen? I have at the moment my pen's my pen at the moment. I know this looks boring, but it actually no. I've got this one as well. This is my Parker pen, which is which is I love it. And then this pen that looks boring, and I just got it off like Amazon or somewhere is also great. So these are my two current favorites. Okay. I used to love fountain pens, but it just got. I can't organize myself. The cartridge just ran out. It's a mess. So I just <laughs> deal with the, these two now. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is a nice question. Would you describe yourself as spiritual? How does your understanding of the non-physical influence your understanding of the world? I think I have tremendous um, faith in the non-physical. I have to. That's where I get a lot of my stuff from. I think I don't think about it too much in terms of what's possible and what isn't, but I feel things very intensely. You know, I was brought up in a really, 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 really religious environment um, right. with my grandparents. And, you know, that stuff doesn't leave you. Sometimes it just changes into something that's more, that's it's just, just a bit more, it works better for me. But, yeah, that deep sense of, of belief, faith, and and just uh, an acceptance in, in what what is and what is bigger than me, that, that's huge. That's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But I think that I think that really shines in this book. This kind of spirituality. It's very rich. I think yeah. you can really get that sense in there. Yeah. So let me see if there's any more questions. What's your favorite? Oh, yeah, food. What's your favorite Caribbean or Nigerian dish, and can oh, you cook? I can. I can. <laughs> I want to know about this as well. <laughs> I can. I can cook. Um, and my favorite. Oh, this is. I love rice. Look, there's nothing better to me than rice and peas. And because I'm not big on meat, but I'm not like, I'm not repelled by it either. Rice and peas, either cooked it, it cooked in like um, an ital stew or like, I can even do like an oxtail stew. Just like, I just love rice and peas. I love it. I love it. It's home. And it's what I'm brought up on. It was, it's what I ate many days a week. And there's just nothing to me. I'm in uh, Brooklyn now, around the corner. It's an amazing place that I, I order from a lot. And, and fish and, and steamed fish and all of that stuff. I used to hate ackee when I was a kid. I love ackee. I love all of the stuff. Ake, yeah, I love, I love ackee. And I didn't know my Nigerian roots as much growing up because I didn't know my father. But then when I started to get into my 20s, I had Nigerian friends and I got into the food. But I can't, I wouldn't say that I really know how to cook jello in the way, in the proper way, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I do like Nigerian food too. But Jamaica is my, that's, that's my home food, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, same, that smell of the rice cooking, rice and pea cooking downstairs. What's your dish? 
oh, I love cooking. I like cooking all sorts of things. I like cooking, like, I like making soups and I like making curries. I like making pies. Um, I make a really nice banana cake and I make, because I make all sorts of things. You should come around sometime. I would love to come for the banana cake. Yeah. I'd love to come for the banana cake. Yeah, it's a bit more like a pudding, really. It's so, like, rich. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. I might have rice and peas today now we've talked about it. Yeah, I know. I fancy some now too. <laughs> it's funny how we get so suggestible. It's yeah. like, I really want rice and peas now. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll check. There's another another question. We might have time for one more short one. Oh, good, 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 good. I meant to ask you this. What are you working on now? What's coming next? We love this one. We want more. What's coming next? You know what? It's another book, but it's, again, nothing like the other three. It's like... My feet are in the fiction, so I'm enjoying this ride, this ride, this wild ride that this this new book is taking me on because it is a wild ride. So I, you know, all kinds of things are going on, and I'm in that early stage. You know, you're bringing sand. You're just all of the sands coming in. You haven't refined it yet. You just have all of the everything uh, moving around. This is the most exciting part for me because everything else, as you know, after that can be a bit like. Yeah, but this is the wonderful moment. So yeah, I'm working on a new book, and always just doing a thousand different things because that's the way I like to live, or I get bored. So yeah, yeah. good, good, good. And um, what um, are you gonna you gonna be doing any more things with like you did with the Beyonce thing when you did? I, I would love to. That you was so I, amazing, by the way. Oh thank my god, you. that's incredible. Yeah, you've got I love I love putting words to visuals, so I'm always down. To, I, I I think it's, you know, as storytellers, we want to be in as many different sort of media forms as possible because it's really exciting. Mm. So I, I, I love work like that. And, yes, you know, my plans are to to, to do lots in film and, and TV and, and yeah, and, and move, move books onto the screen and, and do all that, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, I'll be here waiting, watching, yes. watching, waving, waving <laughs> flags. Thank you so much for chatting Thank to me so and letting me, letting me ask all those questions. Let me just check. People are saying, Thank you. Amazing. We love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This week's show starred Selena Godin and Ursa Daly Ward. Their conversation was produced by Esme Bright, and the series is produced by me. Vas Christodoulou and Dana Outcult. The editor is John Doughty. If you love culture, psychology, well-being, poetry, please subscribe to the series if you don't already. We have so much great stuff coming up in the next few weeks, including Alan Moore on imagination, Anne Patchett on her life in literature, and even Richard Dawkins on whether the angels painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel would be capable of flight. And if that's not enough for you, we have nightly live and live stream events with the cultural icons and leading thinkers of our time. Find out who at howtoacademy.com. See you next week, and thanks for listening.